0: that's trinityschool.org trinity school of natural health transform your life transform the world hey everyone this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast how rude Tanneritos.
2: Before we get into it, be advised that this series contains bad language and references to violence. It's 12.30 p.m. on January 6th, 2021. On the east side of the Capitol building, a crowd of Trump supporters is growing in number. They're chanting familiar slogans shouting through bullhorns.
3: I believe in peaceful resolve, but you're making it goddamn impossible for us!
2: Waving banners and Confederate flags. But they are, for now, peaceful. As we know, of course, this peace won't last long. This crowd outside the east wing of the Capitol will soon overwhelm the police barrier. Knocking officers to the ground. Shouting in their faces. Advancing on the Capitol building itself. But not quite yet. For now, these protesters are simply waving their banners and trying to keep warm on a January morning. Dude, it
3: is freezing, bro. It is so cold.
2: Until suddenly, out of the blue, their posture changes. They spot something behind the barricades on the police side of the line. A boyish-looking man in a Navy suit is emerging from a blacked-out SUV. He's energetic and sprightly, buoyed by the crowd's reaction to his arrival. The young man looks out at the protesters. He can't know what some of them are about to do, but they know full well what he intends to do today. He's been telling them for weeks, speaking on Fox News, on the Senate floor, posting on social media. His plan has cost him many friends. Even lifelong mentors have turned against him, but that won't stop him. And that's why the crowd cheers him on. In response to their appreciation, the junior senator for Missouri, 40-year-old Josh Hawley, raises his fist in salute. This moment, one of solidarity between a US senator and a small crowd of protesters is captured by a nearby photojournalist. Before the day's end, the image will be plastered on news websites around the world. It will become one of the many iconic moments of January 6th, a sitting senator showing solidarity with the very people who are about to invade his place of work. Unaware of what lies ahead and focused on his day's work, Senator Hawley gives the protesters a thumbs up and disappears into the Capitol. He's heading for the Senate chamber. He plans to mount a challenge against American democracy. From the teams at Cool Zone Media, iHeartRadio, and Novel, this is The Assault on America, Episode 5 The Inside Man. So far in this series, we've dissected the vast stop the Steel" disinformation campaign. Headed by Ali Alexander.
3: I'm the guy who came up with the idea of January 6th.
2: And spread by the likes of Baked Alaska.
4: Let's call Trump yet!
2: We've also met a rioter from rural Ohio who swallowed Alexander's poison and is now facing decades in prison. Over
5: in the capital, We're in the fucking capital bro
2: along with his commanding officer, the mercurial grifter Stuart Rhodes, who runs the extremist Oath Keepers militia. The necessity of a well-regulated militia. This time in the assault on America, we're moving up the chain. Today, the virus enters the mainframe. This is the tale of how the youngest sitting U.S. Senator welcomed the big lie into the political machinery of the United States. It's Senator Josh Hawley who, on December 30th, 2020, triggers a vote on whether or not the 2020 election result should be upheld. That vote is scheduled for the afternoon of January 6th. That's why organizers like Ali latched onto this day as their big chance. By objecting to the certification of the 2020 election, Josh Hawley gave the far right something to focus on. He gave them an event. Without Josh Hawley, January 6th is just another day in Washington. If you'd heard of Senator Josh Hawley before the 2020 election, you most likely heard him discussing a culture war issue, perhaps railing against the mainstream media.
6: The New York Times won a Pulitzer Prize for the 1619 Project, a propaganda campaign designed to recast America's founding as an evil event.
2: Or speaking about wokeness, or Antifa, or some dastardly scheme dreamed up by the radical left to destroy America.
6: We've seen a literal insurrection in the streets of Seattle, a breakaway Antifa enclave ruled by a self-described warlord. You cannot make this stuff up.
2: You can make it up. I was there, and while the chop was a very messy and ultimately deadly place, it was not ruled by a warlord. But Hawley's rhetoric here, and everywhere else prior to the 2020 election, sounded like any other Republican senator. He was just fresher-faced, more eloquent, and, judging by his TV appearances, angrier than the rest of them.
6: The bitter resentment of a professional political class cannot accept the verdict of the people. Abuses and distortions, secret meetings, outright lies. Time to bring this fiasco to a close.
2: But Senator Hawley didn't always sound so angry. 22 years ago, long before he got into politics, Josh Hawley was a very different person. His journey to high office begins at exactly the kind of liberal elite institution he now derides from the floor of the U.S. Senate, Stanford University.
7: If you were a fellow student and made Josh's acquaintance when he was a Stanford undergraduate, you would probably have your, as the saying goes, your socks charmed off.
2: Meet Professor David Kennedy. If there was a video game about coastal liberal elites, he'd be the final boss. He's an urbane academic who writes books with titles like Freedom from Fear, The American People in Depression and War. He uh, won a Pulitzer for that one, by the way. When Josh Hawley arrived at Stanford in 1998, David Kennedy was exactly the sort of prestigious advisor Hawley set out to cultivate.
7: Well, I first heard Josh Hawley's name when he walked into my office in 1998 as a freshman student and uh, declared that he had a very big interest in the American presidency as an institution, and he would like me to put together a reading list for him so that he could learn more about that.
2: Professor Kennedy was kind of amused that an 18-year-old would bounce into his office in the first week and demand extra reading. But he humored the young Hawley. He put together a list of classic works about the presidency by de Tocqueville, by James Bryce, by the other people whose books I'm never going to read, and he sent Hawley on his way. That, Kennedy thought, was the last he'd ever see of the overambitious freshman.
7: But about two, three, no more than four weeks later, he reappeared in the office and he said, well, Professor Kennedy, I've done the reading you assigned me, and now I'd like some more. <laughs> and I thought, there's no way that this young fellow could have completed that pretty heavy-duty reading list. And there's certainly no way he could have taken it on board in a way that he comprehends or really got anything out of it. So I sat him down and I started asking him some questions about some of these texts, some of which are a bit arcane and just a really demanding kind of reading. And he nailed every question I put to him. It was clear that in the brief span of time that had elapsed, Not only had he done all the reading I'd asked him to do, but he'd thought about it analytically, critically, synthetically. And I thought to myself, this is an unusual student.
2: David wasn't the only person who thought Hawley was different. Friends and teachers alike had him pegged one day to become at least a U.S. senator. It's a crazy thing to say about any student, but Hawley really was that gifted. I became his academic advisor. He
7: majored in history. And then I eventually ended up as the supervisor of what we here call a senior honors thesis that he wrote about the intellectual formation of Theodore Roosevelt. And that thesis, I'll say without qualification, was one of the two best senior honors theses that I supervised in half a century here at Stanford.
2: In 2008, Hawley turned his thesis into a book. He seemed to be on track to become a renowned academic, like his friend and mentor, David Kennedy. Hawley even gave his book the kind of title that Kennedy might use for one of his, Theodore Roosevelt, Preacher of Righteousness.
7: He had what was clear to me a deep scholarly temperament. He had all the attributes of somebody who could develop into an absolutely
2: first-rate scholar. But Hawley always had bigger plans than academia. He'd never hidden his political ambitions, and he understood that in American politics, there is one tried-and-tested fast track to the top. Over one-third of U.S. politicians started their career this way, including half of all U.S. presidents. So, you've guessed it. After Stanford, Josh Hawley joined a biker gang. Just kidding. He studied law at Yale.
0: Are you ready to take charge of your health journey?
2: Yes, after graduating from Stanford, the future scourge of U.S. elites headed to Yale University to pay $50,000 a year to become an attorney. From there, he moved to D.C. and snagged a slew of prestigious clerkships, including with the Supreme Court Justice John Roberts. Ten short years later, Josh Hawley decides he's ready. In 2016, he steps into the political arena.
6: My background as a lawyer, as a practicing lawyer, is fighting for businesses and individuals and uh, nonprofit groups, farm groups, against government regulation.
2: Hawley leverages his legal background and makes a run for Attorney General of Missouri.
6: I'm Josh Hawley, and I'll fight for Missouri's values as Attorney
2: General. He breezes through the primaries and eventually beats his Democratic rival, becoming the first Republican to hold the office in almost 10 years. His former mentor from Stanford, Professor David Kennedy, had stayed in touch with Josh.
7: Of course, I was proud of Josh having notched those kinds of achievements at a very young age. And when he ran for attorney general, I actually joked with him. I said, I'd be happy to send you a contribution, Josh, but maybe it would prejudice the case there for you in Missouri if it got out that a California Democrat professor was contributing to your campaign. But I wished him well. And I attended his inauguration as Attorney General of Missouri in 2017.
2: Clearly then, at this point in his life, Josh Hawley is still the charming young man from his Stanford days. He's willing to joke with liberal friends like David and clearly doesn't think they're colluding to destroy the United States. Hawley was a partisan, but not an irrational one. There were, however, early signs that he'd started to change. He'd won the race for attorney general with the help of a TV ad that blasted career politicians who use state office as a stepping stone for their national ambitions.
6: Jefferson City is full of career politicians just climbing the ladder, using one office to get another.
2: As Hawley addresses the camera, men in suits are literally climbing ladders all around him. It's a real work of art.
6: Conservative, outsider, attorney general. I'm Josh Hawley. I think you deserve better.
2: Seven months after becoming attorney general in Missouri, Josh Hawley thought that he deserved better too. In August 2017, he formed an exploratory campaign committee for a US Senate run. Now he was the one climbing ladders. He wins again, this time by leaning on his Missouri roots and setting up a theme he'll return to again and again in the future, the demonizing of elites. Here's a schmaltzy campaign ad he put out. You'll see what I mean.
6: The elites who run our nation call this flyover country. Big squares, they only see out the windows of jet airplanes. They pull the lovers of power in Washington and Hollywood, call the shots on Wall Street. They're not just distant from our lives. They're distant from our values. Making decisions to enrich themselves. I'm
2: not sure what Hollywood has to do with Missouri, but the message from privately educated Josh Hawley, son of a bank manager and a high-flying graduate of Stanford and Yale, was that the elites have dominated Missouri for too long. On the campaign trail, Hawley ties his campaign as closely as possible to Donald Trump, who had taken Missouri by 18.5 points only the year before.
6: When I think about President Trump, there's one word that comes to mind. That word is courage. Do you agree?
2: And, well, it works. Smash cut to the 2018 midterm election. And I had a very nice call with the President of the United States. Josh Hawley has just become the youngest sitting United States Senator.
6: Thank you, Mr. President, for your leadership. Thank you for believing in Missouri. Tonight, the people of Missouri have delivered.
2: But things were about to take a darker turn.
8: teacher is proud of students being successful, and I was was very proud of his success. I mean, it killed me that he was a Republican.
2: (laughs) That's another one of Josh's former teachers, Professor Elizabeth Bernhardt. Like David Kennedy, Professor Bernhardt remained friends with Josh beyond his years as a student, even attending his wedding in 2010. But as Josh Hawley became more involved in politics, Professor Bernhardt found herself worrying about the trajectory of his career. There was one event in particular that she could not reconcile with the traditional conservative she'd known at Stanford. Charlottesville. No question. On August 11th, 2017, a white supremacist rally was held in Charlottesville, Virginia. No! Far right activists and supporters of all stripes marched through the city carrying tiki torches and fighting with counter-protesters.
3: Back the fuck up. I don't like commies. Back the fuck, fuck the fuck
2: up. One of their number would eventually drive his car into a crowded street.
4: That Nazi just drove into people.
2: Killing a 31-year-old woman named Heather Heyer.
3: Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God.
2: the event led to one of the most infamous comments of Donald Trump's presidency.
3: You also had people, very fine people, on both sides. Charlottesville,
8: that is a moment for me when I thought all persons need to abandon ship. That is just no. And you can't have taken my course and say yes or maybe at that moment.
2: The course that Elizabeth Bernhardt is referring to is the one that she taught Josh Hawley back when he was at Stanford. It was called Letters and Diaries of Resistance in Nazi Germany.
8: The course was about where do you get the strength to essentially sacrifice your life for doing the right thing in a situation where you know you probably are not going to win.
2: Elizabeth's course looked at the writings of Germans who knew that resistance to Hitler would get them killed and decided to resist anyway. The
8: class was focused on the emotion, I guess, of
2: courage. Now, this wasn't just any old class that Josh Hawley happened to take as an undergraduate. This was a class that he specifically sought out, deploying the same charm and industriousness that had impressed David Kennedy.
8: He wrote in his application... I've already read all of the stuff that you're offering in this class. And I I said, I don't understand. You've applied for this class, but you've read everything. Why do you want to be in this class? He said very nicely, I'm really interested in knowing what other people think about this material. And I eventually hired him to work in the class as he became a senior, and I took more sophomores in. So he was wonderful to work with,
2: wonderful to know. Holly was so taken with this class that he mentioned it in a speech in 2002, saying that what he learned from it became, quote, "...so much a part of me that I could not help but share it with others." But the fact that Hawley stuck so closely to Trump during his Senate campaign, even after Trump described neo-Nazis at Charlottesville as very fine people, caused Elizabeth Bernhardt to ask herself a question. What lessons could Josh Hawley possibly have taken away from her course?
8: There's probably no question about him that troubles me more. I I would have to say none. I'm just stupefied by any support For any group of people who would either carry a swastika, would wear a sweatshirt with Auschwitz on the front, who would yell, Jews will not replace us. This is 1000% antithetical to anything that we discussed or read.
2: After Charlottesville, Josh Hawley went about his business as a senator. Maybe, his friends and mentors thought, maybe his transgressions up till now were the compromises one has to make in politics. But if further proof was needed that Josh Hawley was willing to move beyond the usual compromises required of a politician, it came in November, 2020.
8: The really bad part then came about the big lie.
7: The process is rigged. This whole election is being rigged.
2: After the presidential election, Josh Hawley was one of the first high profile politicians to fall in line with Trump's falsehood that the election had been fraudulent. Same person
7: votes many times, to steal the election. Rigged.
2: But Hawley didn't approach the lie in the same crass, lazy way that Trump did. It's a fraud. Not, not a conspiracy theory, folks. Rigged. No, Josh Hawley has the guile and eloquence to make it sound like he's simply doing the job of a responsible elected official.
6: I have heard from people like I've never heard before over the last month about this election. They have major, major concerns about the integrity, the fairness of this election, and somebody has got to take their concerns seriously and speak up, and that's what I'm going to do.
2: Hawley presents himself as someone who's merely trying to start a debate about electoral integrity. Meanwhile, he starts publicly questioning whether Joe Biden will even become president at all.
6: If if Joe Biden ends up being sworn in as president, if he, if Joe Biden, if he is if, president, if Joe Biden ends up as president January, Joe if, Biden, if if if,
2: if, 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 if. But Hawley's next step takes the matter beyond mere rhetoric. On the 30th of December, 2020, he announces that he's going to challenge the Electoral College results in the Senate. The Republican leader of the Senate, Mitch McConnell, has been dreading this move, understanding that it would put other senators in a tight spot. Do they vote with Trump and against democracy? Or do they go on record accepting Joe Biden's victory? McConnell feared that if Hawley triggered such a vote, it would breach the dam. He was exactly right. As soon as Hawley announced his intentions, a host of senators and congresspeople followed suit, vowing to challenge the Electoral College results on January 6th. At this point, more than 90 federal and state judges had rejected Trump's lawsuits seeking to overturn the outcome of the election. Trump's own Attorney General, Bill Barr, had dismissed allegations that there was widespread voter fraud.
7: There's been no discrepancy reported anywhere that's looked at that. And I'm still not aware of any discrepancy.
2: That didn't stop Hawley. His mentor, David Kennedy, was alarmed.
7: That was a shock to me across the board. Frankly, I thought it was a really, uh, really dangerous, to be honest. And I was shocked and, I dare say, appalled that the president stuck with that line of argument and compoundedly appalled when others,
2: including someone for whom I had had such respect, that's Josh, got on board with that. David wasn't the only person shocked at Hawley's decision. His former political mentor in Missouri, former Republican Senator Jack Danforth, was also astounded. He publicly declared that supporting Josh Hawley had been the greatest mistake he'd ever made. Hawley's biggest donor, a businessman named David Humphreys, who had donated over $6 million to Hawley's campaigns, wrote that Hawley had revealed himself as a political opportunist willing to subvert the Constitution and the ideals of the nation he swore to uphold. We always allow for a little hyperbole in politics, but that's strong stuff. And the reason is simple. Josh Hawley was pushing the big lie harder and harder. On January 4th, 2021, he went on Fox News for an interview with anchor Brett Baer.
7: I just want to pin you down on on what you're trying to do. Are you trying to say that as of January
6: 20th, that President Trump will be president? Well, Brett, that, that depends on what happens on Wednesday.
2: Wednesday is, of course, January 6th. Hawley is implying to Fox News viewers that their actions in D.C. and his actions on the Senate floor might still swing the election for Donald Trump. As it turns out, Hawley pushed things too far, even for Fox News. Quite an achievement.
6: What happens on Wednesday?
7: No, it this doesn't. Is why I mean, we have the states, the by the Constitution, say they certify the election, they did certify it. By the Constitution, Congress doesn't have the right to overturn the certification.
2: For this interview, and for many others, the Senate would later open an ethics inquiry into Hawley's actions, claiming that he, quote, lent legitimacy to the mob's cause and made future violence more likely. And when the violence starts, Josh Hawley is in the Senate chamber, preparing to mount his challenge against the 2020 election. He doesn't get the chance... At 2.33 p.m., Secret Service agents abruptly rush into the chamber and remove Vice President Mike Pence. Somewhat unsettled, the senators continue debating.
6: Just ignoring the lingering questions. We need to do something.
2: At 2.44 p.m., with the senators still in the chamber, shots are heard from the other side of the building.
7: And it will stand in recess until the call of the chair.
2: At this point, rioters are less than two minutes away from breaching the chamber. Protesters are in the building. Thank you. Michael Cranish, an investigative reporter for The Washington Post, has the inside scoop on Hawley's movements at this time. As the storming
5: of the Capitol occurs and Hawley's in the Senate with the other senators, Senator Mitt Romney, Republican uh, of Utah, confronts Hawley and he says, quote, you have caused this. So there's a lot of tension going on.
2: I can't help but wonder, did Hawley have second thoughts as he stood in the Senate chamber with a mob seconds away and a party elder pinning the blame directly on him?
5: The senators are then taken away to a secure room in an office building near the, uh, the Capitol building, a Senate office building, and one senator looked over in this room, and every time he looked over, he saw Hawley standing alone, uh, basically in a corner.
2: The question for Hawley was simple should he go through with his plan to challenge the election, even in the face of a historic ransacking of the Capitol building.
5: There were efforts to try to talk him out of going through with his challenging of the results, but Hawley refused, and he went forward, in fact, with the challenging of the results. In the end, he was only one of seven senators to vote to challenge those results. So his effort failed, but the people who are critical of him would say the damage was done. —
3: so visit snagajob.com or text snag to two four two four two four to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America
4: goes to hire. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at two hundred k for one eighth ownership picasso does the hard parts for you luxury furnishings maintenance billings scheduling and more with a home management team that provides support before during and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing hosting and making memories with family and friends and you can resell on picasso's marketplace anytime historically for a 10% gain with picasso you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit Time after time. Visit picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's p-a-c-a-s-o dot
2: Following the carnage on January 6th, Josh Hawley became one of the most toxic politicians in Washington. Even some Republicans were calling for his resignation. But the truth is, his political prospects have only risen since the riot— any donors he lost after the riot were more than made up for by the flood of cash that poured from Americans who bought the big lie. To them, Josh Hawley is a patriot, one of the few suits in Washington brave enough to take a stand against the biggest fraud in American history, the theft of a presidential election. Now, our man Josh Hawley has said that if Donald Trump runs again in 2024, he'll fight for the former president with everything he has. But if Trump doesn't run, than perhaps Josh Hawley will. I mean, his clean cut, youthful looks, his Ivy League eloquence, it all kind of makes him just a much better version of Donald Trump. Has his dedication to the big lie made him Trump's heir apparent? There's another question that those who know him well are asking themselves. Is there any chance he believes what he's saying? His former professor, Elizabeth Bernhardt, doesn't think so.
8: This is a person who has every talent and skill to find the information, the data, if that election were stolen. And we've never seen it. There are a bunch of his colleagues that I suspect aren't smart enough to be able to look for a lot of that kind of information. That's not true of Josh Hawley.
2: Ultimately, his mentors are stumped.
7: That is not the person I knew and knew pretty well as a young man when anger just wasn't part of his makeup.
8: I don't understand what you're thinking. Tell me what I really would like to know. Tell me what you're thinking.
2: I asked Michael Cranish for a more dispassionate view. He's a journalist, after all. We're very impartial people. There's some people who look at Josh Hawley and say, gee, what happened to him? When I look back at his
5: history, his writings, and so forth, I saw that he was pretty consistent from the time he was 15 years old, and even
2: earlier, actually, up until today. Michael spoke to some of Josh Hawley's friends and mentors in the wake of the Capitol riot. He also noticed that many of the people in Hawley's life had only encountered the smooth-talking moderate and not the ruthlessly ambitious hardliner. Until he reached the Senate, they'd only seen him on his best behavior. They had a view of
5: him and they helped him along, and now they feel deceived, betrayed. They've used some pretty
2: strong language to describe Holly, Michael argues that the real Josh Hawley has always been hiding in plain sight. You just have to look back into the past, before his days as a charming Stanford grad and pro bono Washington attorney. Josh Hawley grew up in a small city called Lexington in northwest Missouri. Lexington's about an hour from Kansas City. It's right on the Missouri River, and if you go there today, it looks pretty down on its heels.
5: The area is known even today as Little Dixie. Dixie is basically synonymous with the Deep South during the Confederacy era. And as it happens, Lexington, Missouri, before and during the Civil War, was the center of slavery in Missouri. There was a lot of slavery in Missouri, and the greatest concentration of enslaved people happens to have been
2: in Lexington. This is interesting because if you visit Lexington, Missouri now, you will find no trace of this history whatsoever. It's just not something that people talk about. This historical blindness of the town seems to have imprinted itself on Hawley's own worldview.
5: Josh Hawley, when he was 15 years old and has started going to private school in Kansas City, wrote a series of columns for the local Lexington newspaper called State of the
2: Union. When I was 15, I was playing Dungeons and Dragons. To each his own, I guess. Anyway, Josh Hawley had some heavy-hitting opinions for a 15-year-old son-of-a-bank manager.
5: He said that affirmative action programs, which help blacks, for example, who have been subject to discrimination and other people who have just suffered the overall effects of general discrimination, even if not directly, he said that affirmative action was a, quote, perverted racial spoils system. And he said that Martin Luther King Jr., the great civil rights leader, would have been turning over his grave over affirmative action and would have been repulsed by it. Punchy stuff, but is it in any way accurate? It's just not true at all. King clearly favored affirmative action programs. And in fact, he was specifically asked about these and said, you know, this was needed to give people some equality to make up for all the centuries of racism and for what happened during the era of slavery and so forth. So Hawley just did not have a proper understanding of that history
2: Now, why are we critiquing a newspaper written by a 15-year-old, even if he is a future U.S. senator? The reason is that there's a version of Josh Hawley that has been remarkably consistent throughout his life. This is a Josh Hawley who wrote in defense of the Oklahoma City bomber, Timothy McVeigh. He lambasted the media for stereotyping militia members like McVeigh as radical right-wing pro-assault weapon freaks. This is after McVeigh murdered 169 people in 1995. This is also the Josh Hawley who made popcorn in anticipation of the bombing of Baghdad during the Allied invasion of Iraq in 2003. And it's a Josh Hawley who pushed a lie to ingratiate himself with millions of Trump voters who might be looking for a new candidate to send to the White House in 2024. The moderate Republican and all-around good fellow that he inhabited at Stanford That was only half the story. Since the 2020 election, it's clear which version of himself Josh Hawley has settled into. When Josh Hawley cast his vote to challenge the election results at 8 p.m. on January 6th, 2021, the blood on the marble floors of the U.S. Capitol was practically still wet. Hundreds of police officers and rioters were seeking medical attention. Four people were already dead. Three more, all police officers, would perish in the next 48 hours. And things aren't looking any better for the future. We can only guess at what further harm is being stored up by the continued falsehood spread by Hawley and his allies. What is the future, in a nation where almost a third of the population believe that their democracy is functionally dead? Your guess is as good as mine on that one. But I can tell you this, that mass delusion serves Josh Hawley very well. Hell, it might even take him to the White House. For the rest of us, well, for the rest of us, it screws things up beyond comprehension. I don't know whether it's more accurate to frame Hawley as a symptom or a cause of our current social ills and the rise of political violence in the United States. He has certainly played a role in making those problems worse but he's also someone who grew up in a society that let 15-year-old kids publish political rants aimed at pushing fringe agendas. He's someone who grew up surrounded by people who convinced him to have sympathy for a man who detonated a truck bomb next to a daycare. And so at the end of this episode, I'm left thinking that, in some ways, the story of Josh Hawley is the story of the inevitability of the Capitol riot. In the next episode, we go to the front line of the mayhem as police battle rioters, bear spray, and bomb threats.
0: The guard, he leans over, and he takes a look at the device, and he recoils immediately and says, holy shit, it's a bomb.
2: Join me in episode six, Hugs and Kisses.
0: Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive Budget Beach Finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Generations Riviera Maya Resort and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com.